Automation, data, AI, the three buzzwords I'm hearing right now speaking at different events around the world throughout the banking industry. In fact, automation, data, and AI, well, these make up your new teammate, and your teammate's name is Ada. How does having Ada join your team make you feel about the future? Do you feel excited? Do you feel energized? Or do you feel confused, frustrated, perhaps even overwhelmed? As I continue to speak with and coach financial brand leaders, I'm hearing a mix of both perspectives, which is why on today's episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast, I'm gonna show you why creating space and time to master the mind, the most important technology to master in the age of AI, will directly impact your future growth potential at your bank, at your credit union, or at your fintech. Greetings and hello, my name is James Robert Lay, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Practical Perspective series where I provide you with practical insights to guide you forward on your own journey of growth at your bank, credit union, or fintech. And today, I'm gonna show you why creating space and time to master your mind, which is the most important technology to master in the age of AI, will directly impact your future growth potential And that's because I was recently coaching a VP of marketing at a financial brand who shared what I feel was somewhat of a tragic story. But first, I'd like to invite you to hit the subscribe button if you're watching this podcast on YouTube or if you're tuned in listening to one of the many podcast players this podcast streams on throughout the world because when you hit that subscribe button, you instantly become part of an ever-growing community of financial brand leaders who are all committed to learning learning how to maximize their future growth potential by guiding people in the communities that you serve beyond financial stress towards an even bigger, better, and brighter future. Before I show you why creating space and time to master your mind, which is the most important technology to master in the age of AI, I wanna come back to this tragic story. Uh, A VP of marketing recently shared with me um, in a a one-on-one strategic coaching session where we were discussing AI opportunities uh, that she could create, that she could capture, and the role that mindset plays to first see those opportunities and then to second, go out and actually take action to capture those opportunities. Now, this VP of marketing uh, was excited. She was energized about the potential of integrating AI into her marketing systems, into her processes but there was just one little problem. She shared with me a story that she had recently experienced uh, about how her CEO in a company-wide meeting with hundreds of team members shared his own personal fears about AI. Now this story, it sent chills down my spine uh, because I, I knew this CEO and most unlikely, uh, uh, most likely unknowingly, uh, just they set their, their financial brand back a decade, if not more, by simply sharing their perspective, their fears about AI in such a large and public format during a company-wide meeting. Now, I understand why the CEO fears AI. It's simply a matter of perspective. And, and perspective equals the sum of two things. Perspective is context and framing. And for this CEO, 
his perspective of AI had been derived from his consumption of media. And I know this because I've talked to other CEOs just like this one who during uh, strategic coaching sessions, they were talking about the subject of AI. Uh, That subject has come up. They've asked me, uh, what are my thoughts? And I said, well, I don't want to tell you my thoughts just yet. What are your thoughts first? What are your thoughts on things like chat GPT? And I'm, I was surprised. I am surprised to find that even right now, um, many do not have a positive perspective of chat GPT uh, because they've told me, you know, what, what their perspective is when I ask, well, what, what does it mean to you? What does chat GPT mean to you? And they're like, well, chat GPT is what kids use to cheat in school. So I ask them as a follow-up, what's helping to shape and form this perspective, to form this opinion, to form this belief that you have about AI and ChatGPT? And the answers from different CEOs typically are all the same. It all comes back to the news media that they are watching, reading, and consuming. What I'm observing right now is like a 1994 moment all over again, because it was in 1994, which is we're 30 years past that point in time, the internet reached the mass consciousness of humanity. And I, I want to share a video. I want to share a video from YouTube for context of what the world was like and how the internet was being perceived in 1994 with a clip from the Today Show. Millions of Americans own a personal computer. If you're one of them, you can now glimpse the future with nothing more than a modem, a phone line, and a few dollars a month. Oh, that little mark with the A and then the ring around it. At? See, that's what I said. Mm -hmm. Um, Katie said she thought it was about. Yeah. Oh. But I'd never heard it. I'd never heard it said. Bad. I'd always seen the mark, but never yeah. heard it said. And then yeah. it sounded stupid when I said it. Violence at NBC. Just what is this main artery of the information superhighway? Every business, no matter how large, no matter how small, will be on the internet in the year 2000. It's how, the primary way that people will look up information. It will replace the yellow pages as we know it today. Are a lot of people just getting on to the internet because they feel that they have to get onto the playing field, so to speak? But it's very hip to be on the internet right now. Right. There it is. <laughs> Violence at NBC, GE, com. I mean... Well, what Allison what? should know. What, what do you is say internet that, anyway? Internet is uh, that massive computer right. network. Mm-hmm. The one that's becoming really big now. What do you mean? That's big. How does one? What do you write to it like mail? No, a lot of people use it and communicate. I guess they can communicate with NBC writers and producers. Allison, can you explain what internet is? No, she can't say anything in ten seconds or less. Oh. <laughs> oh. I'm afraid that if I subscribe to something like internet, you would really be hooked. I would get hooked, and I would never, you know, spend time with my family. Do you, well, am and I also, it, do you, does it bother you at all that these are all people that you don't really know? I mean, it, everybody's get, you know signing on and having these conversations and whining together or griping together or whatever, to with people that I mean I I don't know if I it is group therapy of the of the 90s. Well, I just as I mentioned, I have no desire to be a part of the internet because I feel like I'm so inundated with information all the time that I don't really I don't want more. Don't you ever feel like it's just constant 
bombardment. I don't know. I guess the thing I resent most is, is I would resent the, you know, at least when you're home, if the phone rings, you have the option of not answering it. On the internet, people can send you messages all the time. People you don't even want to hear from. It's ironic that almost 30 years later to hear Katie Couric's thoughts that she, she has no desire to be part of the internet because she is so inundated with information at the time. If, if Katie only knew, and the reason I like to share this clip during keynotes and workshops and coaching conversations with financial brand leaders is because how quickly we forget. I have a hypothesis that how old you were in 1994 directly impacts and influences how you perceive the world today in the age of AI. So when, when you hear the discussion on the Today Show about the internet, they, they could just as easily be talking about AI like right now, because back then they were talking about the internet with a perspective that was confused, they, they felt concerned, they felt even a little frustration. And the same is true right now with the conversations, many conversations happening today about age, AI in the age of AI. And so once again, we can learn from history. Um, there was a 19th century German philosopher, his name was Arthur Schopenhauer. And Schopenhauer wrote, and I'm gonna quote him, he said, all truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed, truth that is. Second, it is violently opposed. And third, it is accepted as self-evident. Think about this for a moment. When the internet first reached the mass consciousness of humanity, what was happening? The Today Show speaks to it. It was being ridiculed. Perhaps there was even some violent opposition in board and executive meetings at your financial brand about the internet going back to the mid to late 90s. But now, look at where we are today. The, the, the truth, if you will, the truth of the internet is self-evident, but how quickly we forget at how things were before and what has happened since that time. This is why education is so important for financial brand leaders, leaders specifically who are committed to maximizing their future growth potential because it is through education that one finds a path to transform confusion in, in the present moment to clarity for the future. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was kicking off NAFQ's annual conference in Long Beach with a general session for over 800 executives. And the night before, I was sitting at the bar by myself and wrapping up a few thoughts for my session the next day when I overheard the conversation of two gentlemen they were sitting next to me. Their names were Phil and Jerry. I'm gonna remember Phil and Jerry for the rest of my life. Both of them were in their early 80s. One had served on their board of directors at their credit union for over 50 years. The other one had been serving for about 20, 25 years. And I heard them talking and I kindly asked them, I said, would you mind if, if I could join your conversation? And they were so kind to oblige and they turned their chairs and invited me into the discussion. It was one of the best conversations that I have ever had because I learned so much from them in that hour and a half. We talked about all different areas of life. And the one thing that, that struck me was where their minds were back in 1994 because they shared with me, uh, they were very open, they were very honest, that in 1994, 95, 96, the idea of the internet, they were they were scoffing at, they were laughing at. Um, they recalled and they remembered sitting in board meetings thinking about how dumb this whole internet thing was and and why online banking was a waste of time and mobile banking would, would never work. They both look back though now and they laugh. They laugh about 
how wrong they were. Um, and Jerry, he even grabbed his iPhone um, and he said, whoever thought that I would be walking around with one of these things yet, yet know how to use it or even log into my, my credit union's online banking, my, mo- mo- my mobile banking. And, and this reminds me of another interview on YouTube with Russ Solomon. Russ was the founder of Tower Records and he was reflecting on the rise and fall of his company and how the music industry turned their back on the kids because the music industry just, they did not understand the transformations that were happening in regards to technology driving human behavior in regards to how people listened and consumed to music. Let's listen to what Russ has to say here. And uh, we knew that it was affecting, through the free downloading, the Napster phenomenon, the Kazaa, and all the rest of them, you could see that that was affecting the music business uh, somewhat. But we, but you're dealing with a couple of forces there that were, were going against each other. You have, you have on one hand a free downloading environment where, where kids could get the music free. You have, on the other hand, the record companies withdrawing singles from the market so kids couldn't buy singles at all at any price and the record companies through the years raising prices accordingly and making it impossible to buy just a song and if you wanted a song you had to buy a whole album there was a tremendous resistance to that on the part of the kids but the general increase in pricing through the years as time went on against a market that was slightly slipping just affected the overall industry. But I think the biggest mistake that the, that the industry made was really a uh, turning their backs on the kids. They lost a generation. They didn't look to the future that the kids are the future. They always are, particularly in a business like the music business. But they turned their backs on the kids, and today, and over an evolving last uh, almost five or ten years, you might say, the, there's very little for kids to buy in music stores. As a result, kids don't go in, so now you've got a big slippage. I want to come back to one of the points that Russ just shared. The biggest mistake the music industry made was turning their backs on the kids. They didn't look to the future. The kids are the future. And I'd add to this thought that the biggest mistake that the music industry made it was not just turning their back on the kids, but it was also turning their backs on technology to not learn and understand how technology, how new technology was, was transforming human behavior. So I want to come back and share just a bit more of, of this interview with Russ um, with you because he continues to share his perspective about why his thoughts, his beliefs, his perspective, his context and framing, why shopping in store was better than shopping Online. Let's come back to Russ. Strangely enough, it's a lot more fun to shop in a record store, or in any store for that matter, than to shop online. And we were the first ones, believe it or not, to, sh- to sell records online back in 1994. But even today, which, which is into the digital world, you know, buying stuff online and downloading music and video and so on online, it's not the same. It's not the same as picking it up in your hand and taking it home, looking at it, listening to it, and then putting it on the shelf and having it as a possession. 
I know that's true for me and you. I just wonder because, you know, I go around talking to all the young people and students and it seems like everybody is doing the download thing and they're, or they're subscribing to services like Napster or they're downloading off the zone, like you said. And uh, I'm just wondering if it's, a, if it's an era that's sort of passing now or we're shifting to this new kind of reality. You know, I get, I get really criticized when I say this, but there's a fad element to what's going on right now with this technology. Mm. It'll burn out a little bit. And people will want objects. They'll, they really will. So let's come back. Because when you hear Russ's thoughts, it's his own personal bias. It's a perspective, his context and his framing that clouded his judgment. You have to remember, Russ founded Tower Records in 1960 when the world was very different. He, he was very successful for sure, but he failed to let go of what he knew. He, he, he failed to re reinvent himself so that he could reinvent tower records for a new world with a new type of consumer with, with new technologies and hearing Russ's thinking reminds me of the Kodak story that I shared in my book, banking on digital growth for it was Kodak that had the, the, the invented the very first digital camera prototype all the way back in 1975. And Russ even mentions the Tower Records was one of the very first to sell CDs online in 1994, which was the dawn of the internet. But Russ believed that this was going to just be a fad, a fad element, he said, to what was going on at the time with Napster and Kazaa and iPods. And this was even before the music industry started streaming with platforms like Pandora and Spotify. So in hindsight, did the downloading of music, that fad, did, did that ever burn out? Of course not. It's this type of thinking, though, that, that Russ had as to why Tower Records, which once again, it was founded in 1960, it didn't make it. Uh, and they eventually closed shop and filed for bankruptcy in 2006. So just like Russ, it's also this type of thinking, not AI. It's this type of thinking that I see as one of the greatest threats to financial brands in the age of AI. Consider that according to the FDIC in 1994, at the dawn of the internet, there were 10,453 commercial banks in the United States. And at the end of 2022, that number dropped to 4,136. On the credit union side of things, in 2000, there were 10,000 316 credit unions in the United States, and that number dropped to 5,288 by the end of 2022. History is repeating itself once again, particularly now that we've entered into the age of AI, and we're seeing CEOs, marketing teams, sales teams, leadership teams, not investing time to learn how new technologies like AI are transforming human behavior once more. They're not investing time to mind their mind. They're not investing time to mind their mindset. So many of them, they're, they're just stuck doing work in the present moment. And, and as I've shared many times before on this podcast, doing is the most dangerous place to be in the age of AI. This is why you must create in, intentional space, intentional time to break free from what you're doing, to review, to learn, to think, about how you can do even better at least once every 90 days. This is the core principle that we teach in the 90-day growth method here, here at the Digital Growth Institute. And, 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 and thinking about this once again, thinking about Russ, perhaps there's even an opportunity for, for you 
for your team as leaders to reinvent yourselves so that you can continue to reinvent your organizations for a new consumer with new technologies. It's because in our industry, when you start talking about automation, data, AI, your new teammate, as I mentioned before, ADA, one of two things happens. Either people get really, really excited or they get really timid, scared, and frightened. It's the fear of the unknown. It's the fear of change that holds so many back. One of the top questions I get from marketing teams and sales teams specifically when it comes to AI and automation, is my job safe? People want to know whether or not they're going to be replaced by a robot. What I tell them is, first of all, just turn off the news. Because when we hear about this automation, when, when we hear about AI in the news, it's, it's almost fear-mongering. And we, we know why that is. It's because it's the news, and the news is designed to play into our fears. That's what, that's what keeps our attention. It's one of the reasons that I often question, and I ask myself, but I ask others to ask themselves, what are you paying attention to? That's that word, paying. What are you paying attention to? What are you getting in return? Because the truth about automation, data, and AI, it's, it's way more nuanced than what you hear in the media. Think about where we were in 1994. The, the same conversation was happening. Um, jobs were going to be lost. But now, no, new jobs were created because of, of the internet. Same thing is going to happen now when it comes to automation and data and AI. Uh, new jobs will be created. There's, there, there's so much we can't even begin to fathom. And, and that's where it's like, focus on the mind, master the mind, master the mindset. Because whether you're coming at this from a marketing perspective, a sales perspective, a, a leadership perspective, there are opportunities to feel excited, to feel energized when you think about your new teammate, ADA, automation, data, and AI. I do, I believe, I truly do believe that your best days are still ahead of you. But you have to believe this too. And this is why you must master your mindset. This is why you must mind your mindset. This is why your mind is, in fact, the most important technology to master in the age of AI because your mindset is going to directly impact your future growth potential. It's your financial brand. And this is a reason that we developed the Future Growth Index here at the Digital Growth Institute because we needed a way to start measuring the mindsets of leaders and their teams framed around their perspective of future, the future at a global level, the future at an organizational level, the future at a team level. Because how you perceive the future right now in the present moment is going to directly influence your decisions and your actions going forward into the future as a leader, as a team, as an organization. If you found this practical perspective helpful today, then I invite you to share it with someone you know, someone on your team, someone at another organization who you can create value for because this is how we all get better together on our own journeys of growth. Until next time, and as always, be well, do good, and be the light.